I wanted to go back to, to one of my favorite days in all the world, April 11th, 1984. Justin Blake Frankino enters into the world. And I know, isn't it amazing that I've actually been getting cuter ever since? How is that even possible? I remember it like it was yesterday. Um, what, you don't remember the day you were born? Is that just me? No? Um, my parents, um, they, they were ready for this day, okay? Here, there, there's, it's labeled, so you know that was legit. Um, so here's my mom. The day, this is her, she gave me permission to show this photo. Uh, this is the day before I was born, okay? Uh, haircut firmly planted in 1984, all right? Uh, this is the day before I came into the world, and here's the, the day I did come into the world. This is my mom and dad, again, a mustache and glasses firmly planted in 1984. Um, they had prepared, they knew I was coming. There were some hints this wasn't a surprise, um, and they prepared a world for me to inhabit. Okay, they had this bridal, sh- uh, sorry, gr- uh, baby shower. This is the baby shower. There's my grandmas and, and my aunt, and everybody comes together. They bring gifts um, so that my basic needs can be provided for. Okay, so when I come into the world, um, there's a world that's been prepared for me to inhabit. And, and one of those things, here's my crib, okay? Um, this is my crib. You can see it's got a J on the quilt, identifies uh, that that's mine. They had a little stuffed moose because my family was moving to uh, Alaska soon. My dad was going to take a, a youth pastor position at a church called Peninsula Grace. And so um, this happens, and they give me a crib. Uh, we have diapers ready for me. Lord knows I needed them. Um, we have clothes, a car seat, everything that we needed uh, for my survival, but not just for my survival. My, my parents wanted to give me a world to enjoy, and so I had things like this. I was the envy of every kid in the trailer park uh, with this rock and what do they even call this? A swingomatic. Oh, I was swinging automatically, and and so here I was. Um, they they painted the room. They give me toys. Um, they give me all of these things, not just to survive but to enjoy life, and as I grew older, to give me all these wonderful things to enjoy. And and, and in the same way, God has prepared the world to be inhabited. We looked last week, these five and a half days, he's creating this world, he creates the plants and the animals and all these other things, but ultimately these things were created for the creature that God would create in his grand finale. It's man and it's woman. And he didn't just provide our basic needs, like food and air, although he did provide those things. We said last week how he gave us all these wonderful things, all the tastes that God created in this world through food and the fragrances that he gave us to smell and the beautiful sights that he gave us to to look at. He wanted us not just to survive, but to enjoy this beautiful world that he had prepared for us. And last week we saw that incredible universe that God had prepared, the lights, the planets, the billions of stars that he made, all the colors the mountains, we looked at the plants and the animals, all of these things. But then I I love how Matt Chandler says this, another pastor. He goes, and then in the vastness of this universe, on this tiny little dirt ball in one of the smaller solar systems in this expansive universe, God places his crown jewel of all creation. And it's us. Look at this, Genesis 2. It says, and the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. And then the Lord God planted a garden in Eden and in the east, and there he put the man whom he had formed. 
this world that God had created for man to inhabit. And what we want to look at this morning are four things in this creation that that we see about our God that we just got done worshiping together and want to continue to do so. Number one, God made man in his image. This is huge. Number two, God is in charge of man. Number three, God provides for man. And then number four, God is faithful, specifically in his promises to man. There's an outline in your bulletin if you want to follow along. That'll help you stay awake. You can write some notes in there. There is something about this next and final creation that would be different, that would be more special than everything else God has created up until this point. And we see some of these things that they jump out from the text to us to tell us this. First of all, what did God say after every day? He said, and God saw that it was, he saw that it was good. Everything that he made was good because God is good, so therefore everything he creates is good. But check out what he says at the end of chapter one after he makes man. He goes, it was very good. It was very good. Everything he's made is good, but he goes, that one I crushed, right? That was the best thing that I have made yet. And then you notice he says, all throughout Genesis 1, and God created that, and it was good. And he he spoke, and this came into existence, and he said that it was good. But look at what happens in this verse, verse 26. He goes, then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. All of a sudden, when he goes to make man... He starts having this conversation with himself. Now we're going like, is God like losing his mind? Like, does he he have like some personality disorder thing going on where he's got the multiple voices in his head? Or he's maybe he's like Smeagol from uh, Lord of the Rings. We makes man in our images. (laughs) They're precious. That's, I'm not even gonna, yeah, sorry. I can't do Smeagol. There is, and many scholars would agree, because you look at what he says, let us make man in our image after our likeness. And there are many who believe that this gives us room. Who's God speaking to? He's the, he's the only one that creates, but he's speaking to the other members of the Trinity. And we know, we know that, that the, the Holy Spirit's there. We saw this back in verse 2. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. He was moving. He was a part of this creation process. And now we have the revelation from the New Testament that shows us that Jesus is given responsibility for creation. John 1, 3. All things were made through him, that him being Jesus. And without him was not anything made that was made. So Jesus is responsible for creation. So we see all three members of the Trinity here in Genesis chapter 1 and God's huddling everybody up and saying, we're about to make something that's very, very good. And and here's the most important one. He said, let us make man in our image, you and I, Adam and Eve, and all the men and women who were created after them were made in the image of God. We are the only creation to be made in the image of God. The Latin for this is the Imago Dei. It always sounds smarter when you say it in Latin. So this is the Imago Dei that we were created in God's image. But what does that mean? What does it mean to be created in God's image? There's two things that I want to pull out here that I think make a huge difference in our lives today. Number one, I think we were given his image to reflect, to reflect. Um, John Piper says it this way, the main purpose of an image is to image okay? The main purpose of an image is to image. What he means is the image is to reflect the glory and the honor of the image that it was made in the likeness of. Let me give you an example. 
you've driven by the Slovatna Visitor Center. Okay, here's my boy, Les Anderson. Okay, this is a statue of Les Anderson. Okay, they took some creative license. I remember him. It didn't quite look like that. But so what, what happens, why is this statue put up at the Visitor Center? Well, it is there to honor and glorify what Les Anderson did. He caught the world record, King Sam, in 1985. It was 97 pounds and 4 ounces. Now, this statue, largest one ever to be caught on a pole, this statue, it's not about, hey, look how awesome this statue is. And everyone's just like, man, great craftsmanship, love the detail, love the color. No, this statue was made to honor and reflect the, the one whose image it bears likeness of. This is about the man, Les Anderson, and that's what the statue's there for. And if you're like me, you've got some pictures hanging up in your house. Here's a picture of our family, family photos. We're having some more family photos today. Always excited about that. Um, all over our fridge, all of my fridge, um, is, is plastered pictures of loved ones. Why? Because I'm just a big photo buff? Like I just love pictures? No. It's because I love the ones that those images represent. So what does it mean if God places 7 billion images of himself on this planet? It means that we ought to take notice of him. It means that he's, he's pretty, pretty bent on us seeing the reflection of his honor and glory in the image of the people that he's created. We, and this is such an amazing privilege, that we were meant through, through our likeness to display and communicate who God is, what he's like, and how great he is. So we're given, and, and in the ancient uh, Near East, one of, the, one of the ways that we reflect God's character is um, in, in our ruling and reigning over the rest of creation. We're going to see this in a minute, that we were given, the, Adam was given the responsibility to rule and reign over the rest of the world. And in the ancient Near East, um, there's these rulers who would rule over large areas, and especially back then, before we had Wi-Fi, it was hard to exert your power over large areas of land. And so what they would do is they'd place these icons in these far corners of the regions that they ruled over, and they'd place these statues called icons there to remind the people of, of the person that this statue represented to remember that that was the person that ruled and reigned over that land, even though you couldn't see that person's face. And in the same way, God has placed all these icons, all these statues of himself all over planet Earth to remind ourselves, to remind creation that he is the one who's ruling and reigning. The privilege that we have. So we've given his, been given his image to reflect him, but we've also been given his image to connect. His image to connect. Obviously, we don't look like God physically because God doesn't have a body. So, so this likeness, this resemblance is not physical, it's spiritual, okay? Reminded me of this Calvin and Hobbes. Made in God's image, own image? Yes, sir. Hobbes says God must have a goofy sense of humor, all right? I hope that God doesn't look like this. We've been given spirits, eternal spirits, spirits that have the ability to connect with God. We are the only creation that was given spirits, as far as we can see in Scripture, to connect with God. 
And he made us like him so that we can have a relationship with him. Do you, do you we understand that? He made us like him so that we can know him. I and mean, why, do, why do parents have children? My mom told us it was so that we could carry her groceries in from the car. Um, all the love we can feel. You created children to have a relationship with them, right? To know them. And as they get older, to watch them grow and change and be able to interact with them. God created us like him so that we could have a relationship with him. And, and I think he's given us a couple things. He's given us a mind to know him. And the ability to think like him and connect with him on an intellectual level, but not just intellectually. He gave us a heart to love him. This is, this is more than just a cold, I, I know who God is. He wanted us to have a heart, love the Lord your God with all your heart and your soul and your mind and your strength. And finally, he gave us a will to choose him. God did not make robots that had to have a relationship with him. He wanted us to have the ability to choose. We'll look at this more in Genesis chapter 3, to choose to have a relationship with him. Now, there are some massive, massive worldview implications here. In other words, how we see reality is affected by this truth that we're made in God's image. And the central truth statement that I want to make is that we have intrinsic value because, in other words, our value, the reason we have value as creation, as humans, is because we were made in his image, because of the Imago Dei. We have been given a dignity that places us above everything else in creation. Now, I'm going to step on some animal lovers' toes here. I apologize in advance. I'm not against animals. I'm all for them. Uh, namely, I love the one that... Okay, we're not, I don't want to get emails. But I think that our culture often crosses the line in the way that we view animals. And we put them on the same plane as humans. God does not do that. The, the most expensive purebred dog, the, the Kentucky Derby winning horse, all of the whales in the ocean do not scratch the surface of the value of the least of all human beings. God does not know them, love them, desire a relationship with them the way that he does us. And so this fact that we bear God's image, it needs to change the way we view two different things. First of all, how we view others, how we view others. How do we view our fellow humans? Both the ones that we live with, we, we worship with, we work with, and the ones that, we, that we, we never meet, but we know of and we think of. And if we view our fellow humans as fellow image bearers of God, it's going to change the way that we see them and the way that we value them and the way that our attitudes are bent toward them. And it's going to change the way we see things. You think like the issue of abortion and I want to speak sensitively here because I know in a room this size there are those who have experienced this. And I want to say that there is grace there and that that's the gospel that we sin, but that Jesus is greater and that Jesus forgives and that Jesus heals. But, but there is this issue. And if we believe that if babies are made in the image of God, then there is no escaping that abortion is the murder and the killing of the Imago Dei of those who bear God's image. But we need to be consistent about this, church, because I think most people, most people, not everybody, but most people in this room would agree with what I just said. Okay, I got some head nods. We're good with that. But what about the living? What about the living? We, we cannot be hypocrites on this issue. 
There's a pastor, Leonce Crump from Minnesota, and I love the way he said this. He said there's a difference. There's a difference between being anti-abortion and being pro-life. We tracking? There's a difference between saying, picketing abortion clinics and saying that you should not abort a baby and being pro-life. Listen, a lot of times the church is the worst at this where we're anti-abortion, but then the second the baby's born... All of a sudden, our attitudes and the way we treat the single mother and the baby and they're living off the system and all this, this just this hatred and this ill treatment of the living contradicts our view that they are bearing the image of God. And we are called not just to be anti-abortion, but pro-life and pro-single mother and pro-neglected and pro-abused and, and, and pro-marginalized and anti-sex trafficking, and anti-slavery, and then we want to hit it closer to home, anti-gossip of the person that we don't like, and to be pro-enemy, pro-people who are, talk differently than us, vote differently than us, and that we are to value each person because they were made in God's image. And as Christians who believe that all humans bear the image of God, we should be the first not just to shed a tear, but to move to action. And I'm preaching to myself first and foremost here. Are we actively loving those who bear God's image? Now listen, I, I don't believe, I think when something is strictly political, for us to come up front in the church and speak to that, I think we're, we're, doing, we're getting some trouble and, and there's context for it and this is not it. But I want this to rub up against some things that we're facing today. So when you think of something like Black Lives Matter, Okay? I'm not telling you where to fall politically, but what I am telling you is that based on Genesis chapter 1, we are to be pro-police officers and pro-those who feel like they've been marginalized. That we are to value all people involved because they are image bearers of God. And regardless of how we vote on November 2nd, we are called to value and love and serve and lay our lives down for both Republicans and Democrats. And however we want to vote our conscience, that's between us and God, when we look at issues like the refugees, whether they're in our country or in the Middle East, is our heart for them? Do we value them and love them and pray for them? And here's why this is so critical. To mistreat an image bearer is to mistreat the image that it bears. You know, like those, those, those jerks in, 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 like in elementary school who would go through, I never did this, but you go through your yearbook and you're like marking red and black X's over the faces of the people you don't like. Right? You know, yeah, you know what I'm saying. And burying like pencil holes into their eyeballs. Mm-hmm. Any conviction in here? Um, or maybe you just broke up with somebody and you're shredding all of the pictures in your shoebox underneath your bed. Is this because you're just against photography? You're like, man, they were blinking there. That just looks terrible. No. It's the attitude that you're having toward the person that the image represents. And so when we, as believers, when we mistreat humans, any humans, we are ultimately profaning the person that those images represent. It is an affront to the person of God. But conversely, to love God 
is to love his image bearers. It's a package deal. That's why in 1 John, Jesus said, or, uh, John said, if anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. So we can't claim, we can't sit here in the worship service and worship, sing these songs, how much we love God, but then we trash his image bearers. He says, that's a, that's a lie. To love God is to love those who bear his image. And one of my favorite quotes of all time, a man named Henri Nouwen, he says, the goal of education and the formation for the ministry, in other words, as we grow in wisdom and knowledge, and as we are formed, as we, as we become prepared to serve other people in our lives, he says, this is the goal, to recognize the Lord's voice, his face, and his touch in every person that we meet we will be radically changed as if we look at people and don't look at the things we don't like about them and how they're different than us or how we're afraid of them or whatever, but we look at them and we see the image of God in them. God, what are you showing me about yourself in that person? It's going to radically change the way we look at them and the way that we think about them, the way we treat them. And then secondly, it doesn't just change how we view other people, but it views ourselves. I want to talk to the ladies in the room for a second. You are valuable not because of your shape, not because of the size of your waistline or any other proportion, not because of the quality of your skin, not because of how you dress, not because of, of how you look. There is one reason that we have value, and it's because of how God thinks about us, and he says he fearfully and wonderfully made you that he knit you in your mother's womb before the creation of time. He knew exactly who you were going to be and you bear his image just the way he wants you to. And guys, don't add to the problem. We need to value our sisters, not based on their appearance, but that they are images of God, that he loves them and we love them. Our value is not found in how successful we are, how successful our children are, and how well they behave or misbehave in Sunday school. It's not based on the amount of likes we get on Facebook from a post. It's not based on our bank account. But it's based on the fact that the supreme God of the universe placed his image of glory, his spiritual DNA in our souls. And he knows us, and he loves us, and he wants a relationship with us. That's value. Number two, God is in charge of man. God is in charge of man. We talked last week about making peanut butter and jelly sandwiches, and uh, we found out that Corey Smithwick can't even speak one into existence. Like, what is that? These junior hires these days. Um, that we need material, unlike God, who spoke all of creation into existence. Now, let's say that I take one of these peanut butter and jellies. I decide to make one, okay, because I'm hungry, and it's one of the only things that a bachelor can make on his own. So I, I buy the bread, I buy the peanut butter, I buy the jelly for my money that I made with my own sweat, blood, and preaching, and, I, and I've got this sandwich. Now, whose sandwich is that? My sandwich, right? And I can do whatever I want with it, right? I, I can, I, do I have the right to eat that peanut butter and jelly? You better believe it. Could I give it to Corey, the poor guy who can't come up with one on his own? 
You better believe it. Can, can, I, can I, you know, put it in my office for the world to behold what I've created with my own hands? Can, can I could throw it against the wall. I could smash it between my t- fingers. I could jump up and down on it. I could give it to charity. I could do anything I want with this peanut butter and jelly sandwich. Why? Because it's mine. Why is it mine? Because I made it. It's what we call a creator-owner relationship. I made the peanut butter and jelly. I own the peanut butter and jelly, and I am in charge of the destiny of that peanut butter and jelly sandwich. I didn't have to consult with it first. You know, it wasn't there to be consulted with in the first place. I said, what would you, what would you, how would you like to be formed, peanut butter and jelly? Like, what would, what would you like your destiny to be, peanut butter and jelly? Where do you want to go? What, what would you like to, where, who would you like to eat you? No. God made the universe. And so God including man. He made us. Don't forget that. So as the creator, he is the owner and he is the boss because he made us. So, so he didn't ask us first, would you like to be made? No. He, he decided what our image would be, what our purpose would be. He decided everything. And we look at this in Genesis chapter 2. Look at what he did with Adam. First of all, he told man where to live. Genesis 2.8. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he put the man whom he had formed. You notice he didn't come to him like a real estate agent. And say, Adam, where would you like? Could I interest you in this lovely garden over here? Location, 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 right? And try to convince him, see what he wanted to do. No, he takes man and he puts him in the garden, and there he is. Why? Because that's where God wanted to put him. And God can do whatever he wants. And then not only does he tell him where to live, he gives man jobs. And in chapter 1, he goes, God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. God tells Adam what he's going to do for a living. He says, you're going to be fruitful and multiply. You're going to make babies. Okay. And he says, then you're going you're gonna to be, you're going to subdue and have dominion over the earth. In other words, I'm putting you in charge of planet earth. And he didn't log him on to jobs.com and say, what fulfills you, Adam? Let's do some personality tests and just see who you are. No, he says, this is what you're going to do. And for the record, it was the most fulfilling thing that Adam could have done. And then, not only that, but he told man what he could and couldn't do. Genesis 2, 16 and 17. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in that day you eat of it, you shall surely die. So God tells Adam, here's all these trees. You can eat any, of any tree you want except for this one tree. God has the right to do that. He can make any rule that's consistent with his character, and he tells Adam, you can't eat this one. If you do, here's the consequences. God can decide because he's the boss. But remember, God did not make us robots. He gave us a will, an ability to choose to obey him or not. But God sets the ground rules, and we'll see, of course, what happens with that in the next chapter. We said in week one that God, the word in Genesis for God is Elohim, and it means God of gods or the supreme God. We said God is the only God, and as the only God, he's the only one in charge. And I think this is why so many people buck so hard against there being a God. And we want to so badly believe that this world was created from what is seen and not from God. We want to believe that there is no God because guess what? If there is a God, we are accountable to that God and we know that. 
And the last thing we want to do is have to obey someone else, listen to someone else, be accountable to someone else. We want to do what we want, and a creator implies that we've got to do what he wants, and that he tells us what's reality, and we don't want that. But there is a God, and scripture tells us that there is a creator, and he gets to tell us where to live, and what to do, and about our image, and about our purpose. God is God. Let me ask you, are you letting the creator owner be the creator owner in your life? Are we obeying him? Are we asking him, what is it that you want from my life? Or are we just saying, what do I want to do? And next week, we're going to see the origins of the thing that, that's in us, that bucks against that, that shakes our fist at the, at the God who tells us what to do and the one that's in charge. Number three, God provides for man. God provides for man. So God's in charge, but here's the good news. He's not some tyrant that gets a kick out of making man miserable. That's just throwing him around, telling him what to do, bossing him around just because he loves that and gets a thrill out of it. Last week we said God is good and that God is for us and that he loves us and that he created this world for us to enjoy. And as a good provider, I want us to look at the things that he lovingly provides for man. First thing is life. Chapter 7, or chapter 2, verse 7. Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. You see what's going on here? The very breath in our lungs, the reason that I can speak to you right now is because God gave us that breath. We're going to sing it later on. It's, the, it's your breath in our lungs that we praise you with. We need God. We depend on him for every moment of survival. And God gave us that life because he loves us. And then secondly, God gave us food. Look at what he says to Adam. Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. We said God gave man food and not just food, he gave him this huge variety of food to enjoy. Now, granted, right now they're vegetarians, which would be awful, um, but in a couple chapters from now, don't worry, God's going to change it, and all right, you can eat meat now, okay, so we're good, um, but for Adam and Eve, they're, they're eating greens, so he, he tells them, here's the food that I've given for you, and then number three, he gives them a purpose, we already said that he said, be fruitful and multiply, and, and have dominion, and subdue the earth, this is not just like a taskmaster, who's like, sweet, free labor, I don't have to worry about earth anymore, God is giving, in Adam's work, he's giving him a purpose. He's giving him a reason to get up in the morning. And the things that we're called to do, the good works that God has given us to do on this planet, when we do that work to the glory of God, it bears his image well and it shows how amazing we are. We can find this, how amazing he is, sorry. Uh, We can find this great fulfillment to the glory of God in the work that we do, in the purpose that he's given us. And then the last one, he's given us companionship given us companionship. Genesis chapter 2 enters woman. Then the Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now watch this. He says, dude, you need help, okay? You need help. I'm going to give you a helper. Now watch what happens. Now out of the ground, the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. Now, this is really interesting. So the first thing he goes, you need a helper? I'm going to give you a bunch of animals to check out. See if any of those will be fit for helping. The man gave names to all the livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to the beasts of the field, but for Adam, there was not a helper fit for him. This is what I always joke when I do a wedding. I joke with the groom, say, aren't you glad God did not find a helper, or Adam didn't find a helper among the animals? 
life would be drastically different if he looked at the giraffe and goes, yeah, that'll work, okay? I don't want to even think about this, the implications from there. But then he goes, the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and while he slept, took one of his ribs, closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Woman means out of man. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and they were not ashamed. Hallelujah. So, there's a lot going on here and I love how God minded Adam's loneliness that he needed a companion, that he needed a friend, that he needed a helper. And just, we could spend weeks on this, but there's three quick things I want to throw out here. First of all, God created man and woman in his image. That's what it says in chapter one. Created both Adam and Eve, both man and woman in his image, and this is huge. And I love the way John Cross says this. He says he did not, he took woman from Adam's rib to serve by his side, not from his heel to serve at his feet. All the ladies are nodding in here. Amen. See, see, God, we have equal value, equal purpose in God's eyes. We have different roles as men and women, but we have the same value, the same purpose. We were made in the same image. That's, that's so important. Secondly, this is our biblical definition, our biblical basis for the definition of marriage. One man, one woman, till death do them part, made one flesh. And this is becoming increasingly the minority opinion in our culture today, in our country today. But listen, we just said God's in charge. He sets the parameters. And regardless of our opinions, that's the reality. However, I want to warn us that we be grace-filled in our approach to those who differ from us. Not that we're changing our stance on truth, but remember, those we differ with are made in God's image. And we're still called to love and serve and respect and listen to. And then the last one, and this is a shout-out to my fellow singles, I don't know how many of you are feeling like this girl on the screen. Listen, God did provide marriage for companionship, but, but I want to say this. If you're single, or, or if you're divorced, or if you're in an estranged relationship where you're very alone, God still provides for you. Now, there are certain aspects, you know, whether it comes to sex and different aspects that are, are preserved strictly for the, for the marriage. But God can provide intimacy. He can provide companionship. He can provide community. And it doesn't depend on whether or not you're married. It's one of the beautiful things that he gave us in the church. We have all these brothers and sisters who, who are a part of the same body and who love the same Jesus that we've been given. And so trust God to lovingly provide, give us everything we need for life and godliness, single and married. Last thing, and then we'll be done. God is faithful. God is faithful. On the seventh day, says God rested. Look at what he says at the beginning of chapter two. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. Note the word finished there. And on the seventh day, God finished his work, there it is again, that he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and he made it holy. The word holy means to be set apart. He sets this day apart from the other six days because on it, God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. 
Now this word here, rested, it's the Hebrew word that, that we get Sabbath from, the word Sabbath from, and we're going to talk about that more as we go down the road in the story. But it's important to note here, he is not saying God is pooped, okay? That God has been working and he's just tired and he needs to catch a breath, okay? Now for us, yes, that would be the case. We try to make one mountain and that would be more work than we could handle. But we said that God is all-powerful, that God is a spirit, that he doesn't get tired. So what in the world is it saying here? Why did God rest? Well, the word here, and I love this, the Hebrew word is to cease or to celebrate. To cease or to celebrate. And basically, God finished, he stops, he steps back, and he looks at everything he made, and he's like, nailed it, right? Just just nailed it. Like, God, he, he took an entire day to celebrate everything he made. That God, this creation was created through love, and he wants to set aside an entire day to enjoy and to celebrate everything that he's made. And I think he's also given us a good pattern to follow here, to set apart one day from the other days, to work six days and to rest for one day. Now, some of us need to be reminded to take a day off. Some of us need to be remembered to work the other six, okay? So both for workaholics and you lazy bums out there, you know, be convicted accordingly. But what this teaches, and here's the profound point, that God finished what he started. He did not get halfway through day four and be like, I bit off more than I can chew, right? And God taps out. I didn't realize what I started here. I can't finish it. Hebrews 10 says, he who promised is faithful. God always finishes what he started. So when he began a good work in you, that same God who began that good work is that same faithful God who's going to complete that work on the day of Christ Jesus. Amen. So these four things, God has made man in his image. That should change how we view fellow image bearers and view ourselves as bearers of his image. God's in charge of man. He's our boss. He made us. Therefore, he has the right to tell us to do whatever it is that he wants us to do. God provides for man. He lovingly gives us everything that we need for this life. And finally, God is faithful. And every promise that he's ever made to us, we can know that he'll come through. Now, up until this point, it's all been good. God's creating things. He's saying it's good. It's good. It's good. It's good. Everything's good. Adam and Eve running around naked and unashamed. Next week, we're going to look at the creation of angels. And we're going to see one angel in particular and how it all goes sideways. Not outside of God's plan, but it all goes sideways. Let's pray. Father God, I don't know what it is that we are. We're we're 150 different people in this room this morning. And so we're all struggling in different areas. Uh, We all have different fears and different concerns. And we're all struggling with different aspects of who you are. But God, the most important thing about us is what we think about you. So I just ask as your people that we would repent, change our mind, and believe the truth about you. And and maybe for some of us, it's that we've got to believe that we're made in your image. Some people in this room today who are battling wounds as people have said some terrible things to them or done some terrible things to them. We're seeing people not as image bearers, but we're seeing them through the eyes of pride and hatred and scorn, and there needs to be reconciliation that needs to happen. Or maybe for some of us, God, we we are failing to believe that you're in charge, and we've been trying to do our own thing, go our own way, make our own decisions, and we need to bow the knee and let you be God. 
Maybe for some of us, we're failing to believe that you are a God who provides and that we're looking at the circumstances like Peter and we see the waves crashing in all around us and we're freaking out and we don't think that we think you might have finished, started something that you can't finish. Lord, I pray that we would believe that you're a faithful God who can finish what he started and that you provide absolutely everything we need. That we would believe who you say you are in your word, that we would fall on your grace, that we would bear your image and reflect your glory and the honor that you alone are due. Thank you, God, for making us. Thank you for the way you made us. Thank you for our purpose. And most of all, thank you for Jesus, who restored broken images so that we can reflect as in a mirror the glory of God, not our righteousness, but the righteousness of Jesus Christ, the cornerstone that our lives are founded on. In your son's name we pray as image bearers. Amen.